Today's reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through to 41. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you know, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy, with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witness to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said, to, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Good morning. It's great to be with you, and thank you very much for letting me into your home. Do keep that passage we've just had read open in front of you, and we're going to be looking at it more closely in a moment or two. But I want to begin with a question. Have you ever observed something and misinterpreted the situation, so jumping to a wrong conclusion? I remember personally coming out of my house one day and seeing a strange person leaving next door. He looked very dishevelled, hadn't shaven, and what's more, he was carrying a suitcase. I immediately concluded that he was a burglar exiting the scene of his crime. I was just weighing up the risk analysis of trying to conduct a citizen's arrest when round the corner came my actual neighbour and introduced me to his brother. I was so glad that I hadn't actually said anything. Well, we left last week and the day of Pentecost with a similar situation. We were looking at the different reactions that people had to what was going on as the disciples spilled out into the streets, praising God with tongues of fire um, over the heads of of each one. Some were amazed and perplexed and asked, what does this mean? But there were others who immediately reacted, pouring scorn on the situation. They've obviously had far too much to drink, was their reply. There is always a mixed reaction to the work of the Holy Spirit. Some will be amazed and and ask questions, but others will ridicule and dismiss. But because of that, um, Peter takes the opportunity to get up and to explain what's going on. And that's what we're looking at today, his first sermon ever. So let's pray that we hear the voice of God and respond rightly. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you want us to understand the truth. So with confidence, we pray you'd help us this morning. Keep us from hardening our hearts and instead guide us to respond in obedience. Amen. Like 
all good sermons, Peter's got three points. And the first is the promised spirit, verses 14 to 21. Peter begins by explaining that some in the crowd have jumped to the wrong conclusion. Let me explain, he says, verse 14. These people haven't had too much to drink. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. The pubs aren't even open. No, he, he says, and he explains it by quoting from the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, chapter 2 and verses 28 to 32, verse 17, following in our passage. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, by which he means all my people, all believers. Let's wind back a little at this point and consider the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Not surprisingly, being part of the triune God, the Holy Spirit was around from the very beginning. And so in the first verses of the first chapter of the first book in the Bible, we see him involved in creation, hovering over the waters as the world and the heavens were formed. And it was by the Spirit that humanity was created. The dust of the ground had the Spirit breathed into it, and so Adam was formed. So the Spirit was there from the beginning. But his work in the Old Testament seems to have been, by and large, coming to particular individuals at special times for specific works. So Joseph was filled with the Spirit to interpret dreams. Bezalel was anointed with the Spirit for craftsmanship. Isn't it good to know that God is concerned for crafts. Then people like Gideon were anointed for leadership. Uh, kings like David were raised up. And of course the prophets were given the Holy Spirit to speak God's truth to the people. But the pattern is clear. Special people given the Spirit at particular times for specific occasions. And that was all well and good, but it meant you had to go to the special person to hear what the Spirit might say. And God began, through his prophets, to promise something new. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Joel all said that a new day would come when God would do something radical. Ezekiel, in chapter 36 of his prophecy, um, tells us that God will do a heart transplant. He says that God will take out the heart of stone in his people and put in a heart of flesh, a heart responsive to God, a, a heart wanting to do God's will, a heart empowered to do God's will. And so it continued. 
the last of the great prophets of the Old Covenant, John the Baptist, likewise pointed to Jesus and said two important things about him. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was the sin bearer. But he was also the spirit baptizer. John said, I baptize with water, but he will baptize with Holy Spirit. And Peter gets up uh, after the day of Pentecost, when, as Jesus promised, the Spirit was given to all the disciples and explains, particularly using this prophecy in Joel. This is it says Peter in effect, that which was promised long ago has come to pass. God has fulfilled what he promised to do. The Old Testament manifested the presence of God often in fire. God to Moses at the burning bush and his presence in the temple through fire. But the temple is the old covenant, a special place, and now the temple is God's people. So the manifest presence of God through the Holy Spirit is seen in tongues of fire on the disciples. So it proved that the church was born. And from that day on, every believer receives the Holy Spirit of Jesus into their hearts, into their lives. Each believer, therefore, has direct access to the Father and the power to follow his ways. No longer do we have to go to a special anointed leader or a special place. We can approach God ourselves anywhere, anytime. And what's more, that Holy Spirit gives every believer the power, the desire to follow God's ways. You know, the law that God gave was good, but it had no power. It simply rightly convicted us of how much we had failed. You know, the old dog rule, the law commands but condemnation brings. The Spirit bids me fly and gives me wings. But you see the implications for us. We have the extraordinary privilege, if we're believers, of living in the days when the Holy Spirit has been given to all who trust Jesus. Just to keep us from complacency, it's also true that the Bible warns us, encourages us to go on being filled with the Spirit. We can't sit back and think, well, I received the Spirit when I became a Christian and that's it. No, there is always more to learn of God by the Spirit. There's always more to experience of God through his Holy Spirit. That Spirit is wanting to produce more of his fruit in us, to release 
his gifts through us. I wonder in what area of life at the moment you're finding it particularly difficult to obey Jesus. Maybe it's being patient with the children as you continue with homeschooling. Or maybe it's anxiety as your finances get into trouble. Or maybe it's fear as you want to tell other people about Jesus but you don't have any confidence. Well, the good news is that the Holy Spirit wants to help you. And the Holy Spirit is in you if you're trusting Jesus so he can help you. Allow him to give you strength, to equip you in all circumstances and to enable you to speak for Jesus and proclaim the good news in your own situation. The promised spirit. But secondly, we go on to the prophesied saviour, verses 22 to 36. Peter goes on to explain how this has all happened through the man Jesus. That's who he's wanting to get to as he explains what's been going on. The man Jesus of Nazareth, who was accredited by God by miracles wonders and signs verse 22 this man was put to death on the cross but raised from the dead by God thus proving that he was more than a man that he was in fact the prophesied son of God the Messiah the Lord verse 36 and again Peter quotes from the Old Testament this time the Psalms, Psalm 16 and 110, showing that this Jesus was King David's greater son. Look at verse 24 in our passage from Psalm 110. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. King David was speaking prophetically about Jesus. Amazing. Here in his first sermon, Peter makes all the key points of the gospel clear. Let me summarise what I think those key points are. Firstly, the humanity of Jesus. But more than that, his divinity. Secondly, his death was not a tragedy, but a triumph, dealing with the consequences of our sin and rebellion. It was God's deliberate plan, verse 23. Thirdly, his resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the dead, the only one. Verse 24. And fourthly, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, now exalted, has poured out his Holy Spirit on those who are saved. Verse 33. Have you accepted these truths? Have you grasped them and let them 
be embedded in your very being. If so, give thanks to God again for his extraordinary generosity and amazing grace. It's so easy to take these fundamentals for granted. But the likelihood also is that there are at least some listening in this morning who have not accepted these truths. And if that's you, may I gently ask, what's holding you back? The evidence is strong and the offer is clear. I remember many years ago as a young barrister in training being challenged by three friends that I had jumped to the wrong conclusion about Jesus in dismissing him as simply a a good teacher who lived a long time ago. And as a lawyer I thought, okay, well I better look at the evidence. I expected to be able to dismiss the idea of resurrection very quickly. But like many more distinguished lawyers, as I actually grappled with the evidence, rather to my alarm, I became convinced that the only honest explanation was that he had indeed risen. And I concluded that he was both man and God. Nothing else explained the transformation of the disciples from frightened cowards into a band of believers who went out to their enemies declaring the truth of his resurrection even though it cost most of them their lives. That didn't make me a Christian though. I still held back and as I considered what was holding me back for me it was the consequences of accepting Jesus as Saviour and Lord. I could see there were implications for my lifestyle and I wasn't terribly sure about those. Anyway, eventually I surrendered and I took the step of asking Jesus and I received him and his Holy Spirit into my life. If I'm honest, I didn't feel very different after that prayer. There was no overwhelming experience. But actually, I do believe that I received the Holy Spirit that day. And I am certain that it was then that the whole course of my life was changed. 2,000 years ago, Peter's hearers came under similar conviction. They were persuaded by Peter's arguments. And many of them realised that they were in danger of jumping to the wrong conclusion. And so they cry out, verse 37, what shall we do? Well, there's only one answer to that question, whichever century you're in whether you're in the first century or the 21st century. And so we see, thirdly, not only the promised spirit, 
and secondly the prophesied saviour but thirdly the plan the path to salvation verses 37 to 41 let's begin with verse 38 as Peter replies in answer to that question repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit there are many ways of unpacking the gospel but here's one Peter seems to be using three simple steps to salvation and to help me remember them I've made them all begin with the same letter R one, repent two, recognise and three, receive let's look at them more closely firstly, repent Peter says we have to repent repent is more than saying sorry it means acknowledging that we've been going our own way going against God, rebelling most of us are only too well aware that we haven't lived up to our own standards let alone God's standards but as well as saying sorry we have to be willing to turn and want at least to go God's way are you willing to repent secondly we must recognise we must recognise Jesus for who he is both Lord and Saviour we must recognise yes that he was human but that he was more than human he was raised from the dead we must also recognise that in some way his death on the cross dealt with our problem of sin you'll never understand that completely there's always more to grasp but to see that Jesus died for you is key and then thirdly receive and strangely this is the difficult step receiving Jesus into our lives by the Holy Spirit it's difficult because we feel we must earn it it's part of our culture part of our independence there's no such thing as a free lunch surely there's no such thing as free salvation and yet we can't earn forgiveness there's nothing that we can bring to the table it's beyond our powers all we can bring is our sin and rebellion salvation is God's free gift that's why it's such good news all we have to do is accept that truth and receive the Holy Spirit just worth noting here baptism which is referred to is simply the outward sign of that inward reception a public display of acknowledgement of Jesus as my personal Lord and Saviour so the important question is not have you been baptised 
But have you received? Have you received the Spirit? Or are you still trying to do things in your own strength? What a wonderful and amazing gospel. Good news indeed that has been spreading round the world ever since as Jesus prophesied. Transforming lives down the ages. Helping us today to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. I wonder what other conclusions you and I might be in danger of jumping to today. For example, as far as the spread of Christianity is concerned, if you simply listen to the radio or watch television or read the newspapers, you might conclude that Christianity is all but finished. But in fact, the very opposite is the case. There are more Christians today than ever before in the whole of history. From every ethnic group, every age, every background, every intellectual aspiration and achievement. Verse 41 here seems like a large number. It is a large number. 3,000 were added to that number that day. But do you realise that today, according to figures I've got, there are about 2.3 billion Christians around the world. That is remarkable growth by any standards. Particularly, perhaps, if you think that in 1910, there were only 600 million Christians. According to the latest figures I have, which admittedly are a little out of date, 2015, 2.7 million people convert to following Jesus every year. That's an average, according to my calculator, of 7,397 every day of the year. Not to mention the thousands of children born into Christian families every year. Many people are converting to Jesus in South America, Africa, Asia, only in secular Europe, the West, is there so much ongoing resistance. Significantly more Muslims are converting to Christ than ever before, despite persecution. More Jews than ever before, particularly in the United States, Argentina and Russia, are recognising Jesus as their Messiah. The promised spirit is much at work today. The prophesied Saviour has completed his work and the path to salvation is clear. Jesus is building his church. The commission is being fulfilled. The gospel is being proclaimed all over the world. 
And that means that Jesus will soon return. That's another promise of God. And as we've seen, God keeps his promises. Jesus is coming back. The final right conclusion. Praise him.